Hi there. Welcome back to our podcast called Hope, Surviving the Loss of Suicide. Today we have an amazing, warm-hearted, most beautiful soul guest, Christine. This week our topic is guilt and regret. John's here. Hello, everyone. Christine's here. Hi. And me, of course, I'm Sherry Lynn. So John and Christine have really expressed their thoughts and feelings around guilt and regret. So I thought it'd be a wonderful time to have Christine in to talk about this because she's kind of not an expert, but she's really thought out when she talks about her feelings. She's done a lot of research in the past since she lost her husband from suicide almost 17 years ago. And she is one of the founding people who created uh, the suicide survivor group at the distress center in Durham. She saw that there was a need for it. She had to drive all the way to Toronto every week to get the help that she needed to have that camaraderie that she needed from losing her husband to suicide. So she actually came up with the idea to, to have a group in Durham, which was amazing. She's a, she's a hero to lots of people. So welcome, Christine. We're going to start off with a question. Basically, I thought maybe John could talk about this. What do you think the difference between guilt and regret is after you lose somebody to suicide? Um, it's complicated because I think at the beginning, at least it was for me, there was no such a thing as regret. Everything was kind of boiled down into guilt. Uh, what, did I, what didn't I see? Why didn't I see it? What could I have done differently? Uh, how could I have missed it? You know, I knew them their whole life. Did I do something? Did they ask me for something and I didn't see it? Uh, there was a lot of different uh, levels of guilt at the beginning. It, it, it took a long time and it, and it took someone that I met at uh, Distress Center at Durham through Christine that, that taught me the difference between regret and guilt. And, and that was a that's probably one of the biggest lessons I learned. And I know before we go any further, I'd like to thank Christine for being here. And I'd like to thank, thank her for what she's done at the stress center at Durham, because I'm where I am now because of her, the work that she put in, in the past to get to where she is now and to pass that information and knowledge onto us uh, is very important. And, and again, I, I can't thank her enough, her, her knowledge and her compassion and her sincerity her just, endless and uh, I'm, I'm honored to have to have her here with us and i'm honored to work with her and in, in helping the people that are new to this devastating event um it just makes it so much easier to work with but again it's it's this this guilt and regret thing is um it's complicated and at the beginning it's very very difficult for many to see the difference in the two and it does help once you can distinguish the difference and then there's also work in how to separating the feelings and, and understanding where you place one in what category and, and understanding that. So do you have an example of what guilt would be like something I think, all right, John. So what exactly do you think the difference is between guilt and regret and specifically maybe an example of what guilt would be? So people will know what that is. I guess to try to make it into its simplest form is um, somebody would call you and you pick up the phone and they express their desire to take their own life, that they're really struggling, that they don't want to go any further. I'm, I, I'm going to do something tonight. I'm going to do something now. I, you know, I'm going to kill myself and you minimize the event 
and you say, no, you're not, and you hang up, and you don't do anything further to take care of the situation or to get them help or you, you carry on with your life and they eventually do it that evening, that moment or whatever. And then you find out about it and yeah, I, that would be guilt. You didn't do anything about it when somebody was reaching out. Regret would be the same phone call, but you're in the midst of a meeting or you're discussing something with your kids or helping your kids with homework or your husband or your mom or your dad or whatever. And you see the number and you look at the number and you go, ah, I'm busy. I'll, I'll call them back later. And then you find out that this enormous tragedy happened. That's regret. I regret not picking up the phone. You didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know it was going to be on the other end of the telephone. You just now, you because you know now what did happen. It's regrettable that you didn't pick up the phone. But by not picking up the phone, you had no contributing factor to what they did because you did not know what was going to happen. You didn't know what it was going to be. It could have been a nothing phone. Definitely. It could have been nothing. What do you think, Christine? What do you think the difference between regret and, and uh, guilt is? Guilt and regret are very heavy burdens to bear. Um, the feelings of guilt can be as intense as the feelings of grief. And sometimes it's sinking from one and then back into the other and back and forth. I think it's very helpful to learn that um, guilt comes from the word guilt, um, doing something intentional prior to the suicide, for an example. But that doesn't mean do it intentionally um, in hoping a suicide will occur. These are all um, feelings out of mistakes. Um, regret or honest mistakes. Um, regret is feelings of having said something you wish you didn't. Many times we ask ourselves, whose fault is this and who's to blame for the tragedy? Often the answers we construct lead directly to deep and see seemingly unshakable feelings of guilt. Guilt comes in many packages, none of them pleasant. You may feel that you missed the markers, for example. I think it's important to remember that sometimes living with someone who is extremely mentally ill, for example, is that those go down, slide down the scale to a degree along with the person who has taken their life because of the level of stress you have lived with. And so sometimes blurting something out or ignoring them comes out of emotional exhaustion, which goes under regret. I believe strongly that whole families sometimes need help with living with someone who may be suicidal or severely depressed or possibly has um, an addiction to drugs as well. Survivors often feel guilty because they feel they added to the stress and possible despair that led to the suicide by not being there that hour or that day and by leaving them alone at the time or by being human enough to attend to your own needs at times. Often the most caring, devoted, loving individuals seem to feel they have failed their loved one and even when there is no rational reason to think this way. I don't know how to get... Only one who has lost someone to suicide can understand the immense heavy weight guilt can bear. But it is very important to learn and separate intentional things where, which is rare, that may have led to suicide from regret. Most of us actually live with 
I feel like just in society today, not even with suicide, we have so much guilt put on us for everything, whether you feel guilty because you're not present enough as a parent or you feel guilty that you should be working harder when you go to your job. You feel guilty because you ate a chocolate bar and you're trying to eat healthy and work out. There's so much guilt that's even embedded in our society. So then when something tragic happens, like a loss of a loved one, even if we know that somebody is going to take their life or we fear that they're going to take their life and you kind of said, okay, promise I'm going to go to your next appointment with you or I promise we're going to go on a trip together or I promise this, but you just haven't gotten to that yet. You might feel guilty because you feel like maybe you're part of why that person took their life. So you feel guilty that what if I did that or what if I did this? It's like this ongoing guilt, but trying to switch our thinking to regret. I'm regretful that I didn't go on that trip with my loved one because I could have had this moment with them and I could have had this really great memory and they could have enjoyed that too. It might not have changed the end result, but you might have had some really neat memories or you might have felt really great by going to every single appointment with them and you wouldn't have regretted or felt guilty about that. I agree with that. It's it's a tough it's a tough lesson to learn because yeah. it's it's a lesson that can be used every day for other things. Time with your kids, time with your wife, time with your parents, with family. You know, we we tend to we feel guilty when we don't do something after something has happened, after we've lost a moment, after we lost an opportunity, as opposed to being in the present and, and, and acknowledging it now. Um, one of the hardest things at the beginning was, um, if I can explain this and people understand it, the old typewriters when you could type out the word guilt and then without moving it, you would type over regret over top of the same word. So both words are there, guilt and regret, they're hard sometimes to distinguish between the two. And, and as time goes by and we learn how to categorize our feelings and our thoughts and, and, and understand the, the big difference between guilt and regret, slowly those words will start to come apart on the page and, and become more visible on their own. And it, it, it does. It's, 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 it's very important to learn that because we're under enough stress and enough grief with what's happened and with so many unanswered questions that some may never be answered and we will continue to ask them for the rest of our lives to, to get a handle on categorizing these feelings in the proper proper headings of guilt and regret is is immensely important in, in, in the surviving of this traumatic experience. Thanks for sharing that, John. So now let's bring it back to our own stories. John, you lost your son. Christine, you lost your husband. I lost my dad. We all have very different stories, very different paths that we have gone after that loss of, of our loved one. So how has guilt or regret found its way into your story? Oh, very. It, it found its way into my story almost immediately upon learning of my husband's death. Um, just for the fact that we were together for 28 years and how could I have let someone close to me slip through my hands that way? It took a lot of learning, a lot of researching and trying to understand that we can never be walking in someone else's pain unless we carried that very same pain. And if I completely understood what he was dealing with, maybe, and I emphasize maybe, I might have been able to postpone it. We'll never ever know 100% for sure with any 
one who has taken their life if we could have actually prevented it. I'd like to say, remember that feeling guilty or regretful or thinking that you let someone down indicates that you have a responsibility for that person and that is a good thing. There has to have been a personal commitment and the ability to feel compassion or you wouldn't be experiencing the weight of guilt and regret. Find comfort in the fact that you loved him or her because in some families that love doesn't even exist. You're, you're feeling this way because of the sense of responsibility for the one you lost and, and still love, and it, it's a terrible weight to bear. Learning and understanding the difference between guilt and regret does alleviate the pain a little bit. Learning to shift it to regret and understanding why it's mostly regret does help to learn to live with that portion. Thanks, Christy, for sharing that. What about you, John? How did that kind of um, manifest? I have to say that I am guilty of how ignorant I was about suicide until it happened to me. The misconceptions, the the statements that are very common, what a selfish act, a weak person. I mean, I remember, you know, and I'm, I'll be saying it, you know, I'll admit to it. I said those things too, out of ignorance. And then this devastation happened to me and I educated myself and I'm guilty for speaking wrongly about it. Uh, I regret not knowing how bad Zach was dealing with the demons, you know, how bad it was, how bad the struggle was. I remember that evening we had just, the morning that he was going on to sober living on his own, that we had done 30 days of home rehab, you know, and it was, he was by my side for 30 days, morning, night, you know, he never left my side. He was going to sober living and I was, I remember saying, wow, I'm going to have a night off tonight. You know, I, I was I was happy that he was going sober living to have a, my evening back. I regret that. I really do. Could it have changed the outcome? It may have changed it for that evening. Would it have changed it for the future? I don't know. I'll never, I'll never know that. It took a long time to understand that difference of regret. If, if he had begged to stay home, and I said no. You know, if he had said to me, I'm fearful of going out in the wild because I don't think I'll be able to survive. And I said, no, you got to go. That would be guilt because I know I knew then how bad the, the struggle he was dealing with at that moment. Um, but he didn't say that. He was looking forward to it. He was excited. And I regret, I regret that he didn't feel strong enough or comfortable enough to call and say, hey, you know, I need to come home. It's not, I don't feel right. I regret that didn't happen. But that took a long time. That, that took a long time to understand, to be able to differentiate the two. And because it's really easy to pull it all together and throw it in the bucket of guilt. Because society has made us, had made it easy to to put everything under guilt. Because it's, it's, it's a way of, of, take, of taking on feelings or society or the outside people imposing on you, removing their responsibility if there was any, or giving it all on, it's, it's, it's being dumped all onto you. You know, you're, the guilt, the guilt of missing something or, or it's, it's just, it's just a, another layer of this complicated thing that it's, it can, it can make the struggle a little lighter. I'm not going to say easier. It's just a little lighter once we're able to start to, 
to separate the two. It, it really can, and it's a struggle, and it really is. And, and, and the difference, and for some, you know, one thing may be guilt, and then for another person, it may be regret. You know, the same instance because of circumstances, and they're all, and it's very, very individual to, to everyone's grief. Um, but it's something that has to be learned. So I sat down with Christine and John, and I thought, no, I didn't have any guilt. I didn't have any regret. I don't think because my dad was my dad, and he was supposed to take care of me. However, at 19, I spent a lot of time taking care of him. When he would call me, I'd make sure he was okay, and kind of picking up pieces for him when he needed me to. So when he actually took his life, I felt like, wow, I did all these things to help him out and I couldn't do it. So I don't feel guilty because look at all the things I did for him at 19 to make him live longer and extend his life. And, and even though I always in my heart felt like he was going to take his life, I just didn't, I felt like I helped him continue to live longer. But I realized when he died, I kept trying to fill his shoes. So I tried to take care of my brother and sister who were really little. They were three and one and a half. And I tried to take care of my older sister who was me mentally ill. And I tried to take care of my other sister who was, you know, six at the time. And I kept trying to take care of everybody. And I tried to fill his shoes because he couldn't be here. And eventually I did feel regretful because I couldn't do it. I had to live my life. I couldn't be my dad. I wasn't my dad. And his responsibilities, I finally learned, were not my responsibilities. But I did kind of realize that that was the biggest regretful moments that I had, was not feeling like I could be him, but then realizing, hey, I'm not him, and this is not my job. So that took a long time. That probably took a good four or five years for me to go, wait, just because I was the executor and I took care of everything and I planned everything does not mean this is still my job. No, and, then, and here's the other guilt. Here's the other thing that will will bring up people guilt. You'll catch yourself maybe smiling at something. You'll catch yourself chuckling with someone, and you'll and you'll think, how dare I? How, how how dare I be happy? How dare I decide to take a moment for myself? Get a haircut, go do your nails, anything. Go on a, the idea of going on a trip, on a vacation. That's you can't even imagine that. How dare I think that, you know, and there is another level of, of guilt that comes in. I'm, you, you, you almost sacrifice yourself. I am not allowed to be happy ever again. I'm not allowed to smile again. I'm not allowed to laugh again. You know, I'm not allowed to sing along with that favorite song on the radio again. That's not okay. I remember being like that for a very, very long time. It was very, very difficult to start to say, and I struggle with that even today, to take time for myself. You know, that um, it's not selfish, it's not something to be guilty of, to to take time for you, for yourself. And that's another part of the guilt that, that creeps its ugly head up. So something I just thought of was relief. That was one thing I actually felt guilty over. So the thought of relief, people try not to talk about it, even in our suicide survivor group, because it's kind of even more taboo layered on top of the taboo that somebody that you love took their life. So when you live with somebody who's sick for a long time and you're always taking care of them and you're always on eggshells, when one person in your family is sick, a lot of times multiple people become sick and it's really hard to live with somebody who's sick because then you find yourself acting weird just to 
be around them to make sure that they're comfortable. And now you have these weird regiments that you're doing just to make sure that that person is okay. So when you're always worried and you're always concerned and you're always scared and you're on the edge of your seat all the time wondering, oh, what's that phone call for? Did, did my loved one kill themselves? Did my dad kill himself? Well, when I found out, it was heartbreaking and crushing and hyper, I hyperventilated and fell on the floor and it was the worst day of my life. I still felt at the same moment when I finally stood back up, relief. I thought, okay, I don't have to wait anymore. I don't have to wait to get this phone call. The phone call happened and I could breathe because I wasn't waiting anymore. And I don't know. Did you have any of that, John? Um, I didn't have relief. I, I remember because Zach struggled for a long time with um, addiction and uh, his his demons. I was always preparing. I was always contemplating uh, how am I going to deal with the issue when when his his overdose one night is is not reversible. You know, it uh, he died because of it because uh, he had overdosed many times and. There was always somebody there, and ambulance was always on time, and the doctors were always able to bring him back. But you know, it's when when's it not going to be that outcome? When's it when's it going to be horrific? And I was planning for that. I was planning and planning and planning how I'm going to deal with it. How is my family going to deal with it? How is how am I going to help take care of his mother and all that? And then he he took his own life. What a waste of time I had spent trying to contemplate how I was going to deal with something that I'd actually no control over. It was, I had never thought it would be um, death by suicide. I always thought it was going to be death by misadventure per se, uh, an overdose. So this one kind of took me completely by surprise. And I was, I didn't feel relief. I didn't feel relief that his, that his battles were over with, uh, that he was in. I, I, I didn't have, I didn't, I couldn't stomach the cliches of always oh, in a better place. He's not suffering anymore. I, I couldn't, I, I don't, I still don't. It's, I can't know. I, I no, I've never, I've never ever, even to this day, I don't, I don't, I don't feel relief. There was, there was no relief in, in that. And, and again, that's not me saying people are right or wrong to think that. I mean, is it, we, we speak about mental illness and suicide and, and this disease that we consider it different. Why should we look at it differently than how somebody talks about cancer or, or other diseases? We're compassionate when somebody decides to Absolutely. not take um, medication any longer to prolong their life, you know, when they're suffering from, say, a disease like cancer. And when they, they, they finally leave us, we say, oh, Thank goodness they're not suffering anymore. Uh, it's okay to say that then, but we can't say that. Um, it seems to be taboo, as Sheridan says, about saying that for somebody with mental illness. But for my, but my, my situation with Zach was different than Sherry Lynn's situation with her dad. However, exactly. That's and everyone's feelings are very individual. But you know, I mentioned that my sister died. Of mental illness she died in a homeless shelter which you know we just got back the reports and she died of a drug overdose which they thought was pneumonia but i felt relief when she passed away and I, my heart had been aching for years because she was living on the streets for years and years and years and her mental illness just was so deep that 
you know, how, no matter how much you tried to help her, she just didn't want the help anymore. So when she ended up passing away, I was re relieved for a hundred different reasons. I was relieved she wasn't living actually on the streets. I was relieved she wasn't in a drug house. I was relieved that she was in a warm place. And I was relieved that her brain and her soul wasn't suffering anymore because it wasn't suicide, but it was, it was still mental illness. And I think you're right. When we talk about mental illness, it's very taboo to say, Oh, well, at least they're not suffering anymore. And it's, but that's taken me 17 years to get to a place to think like that. But it, it wouldn't have been my thought if my sister's passing a mental illness was my first loss to mental illness. Absolutely. Christine? My husband hid his mental illness very well. Um, very well, I must say. He didn't take drugs, medication, or drink. So it had to be something for me to figure out. It took many years to finally understand the intensity of the pain a mentally ill person goes through. And with the years of learning to understand that, yes, I'll, I'll admit I felt a sense of relief that my husband isn't suffering anymore, not that he isn't here with us anymore, but the fact that, oh my gosh, he isn't suffering that intensity that I never could understand before. Because it wasn't until I lost him that I understood what pain was like, and yet I'm still here. So that in itself told me a lot about what one suffers, who takes their lives. Thanks for sharing that. Oh, and, you know, and with, with Zach, it was kind of like a little different. In that last month that he was with us, he had made leaps and bounds and changing and, and getting better and staying clean and signing up for school. And he had all these dreams and, and, and he was going through with them. And he was, he was always, he always had, he was always a bit of a dreamer, but this was the first time really that we saw that he was putting, you know, you know, he was, he was actually doing the work, not, not just saying, Oh, I'd like to, he was actually, you know, you know, pounding the pavement and making the phone calls and signing up and, and doing stuff. That, so at the end, at the very end, it was, it added to the shock and disbelief of what happened because I wasn't watching somebody going down. I was watching somebody going up. So it was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that I had expected, anticipated. And, and I guess that's where the difference, I guess, and, and the relief, and, and, and by no means am I saying, and I, I want to apologize if anybody gets this feeling, I totally understand, depending on the situation, the, the individual, and like I said, everybody's grief is individual, everybody's story is individual. To them, if they feel yes that you know, um, there was a sense of relief that my loved one is not suffering anymore. I, I truly understand that. I get that because if you think about this disease, like we do other diseases of people suffering, you know, we hear that often, and it's okay, and we get it. Why we, you know, when somebody says that, it that just wasn't the situation for me with one hundred percent, and every in the agree, and that's. Grief is just as individual as, as anybody else, like personality too, and how you process things and, and what that looks like in situations and the relationship you had with your loved one too, right? So I think all those things come into factor. And what we talked about last podcast, John, that like I would never say to somebody, hey, your dad died the same way my dad died. So I understand what you're going through. I have an idea what you're going through, but your loss is very individual. And I would... We wouldn't want to take that away from anybody, right? 
Oh, it's, it's, it's even, you can even bring it in even closer. It's like, you know, me and my wife, you know, we lost, we lost a son. Now, again, there'll be people that know us that will say, you know, and, and I've heard it and it was said and, and I heard it with my own ears, you know, but he wasn't your son because he wasn't my son biologically. I get that. I understand. I, I understand he wasn't my son biologically, but he was my son since, you know, I met him when he was three years old. The same person, the same individual, me and my wife, we grieve for that individual completely different because our relationships with him were completely individual to us. So I can't expect my wife to understand my grief 100%, nor can I expect to understand her grief 100%. You know, she she is that child's mother. She carried him for nine months. There's no possible way that I could understand that connection. No possible. And that's another level of respect and understanding and compassion to try to wrap your head around, which is not easy sometimes. Well, this has been a really interesting um I'd like to say that in many years of research that has been done on the behavior of survivors after suicide, it is clear that grief and regret are mostly usually synonymous because they do go hand in hand. They are the same. They are to some extent a part of everyone's bereavement journey. Sometimes just knowing that the feelings and thoughts that seem to haunt us are a natural part of this grieving process. We can take small comfort in knowing of others who have walked this rocky path and found their way back. If they have, so can we. That's beautiful. Just before we I, sign I off here. Something in there. That's okay. We're allowed to mumble. It's all good. That's what podcasts are for, being authentic. So, But I did want to say thank you, Christine, for coming on because you are just a wealth of knowledge and I adore your perspective and I just think you have such a way with words. And I'm sure that this is not going to be the last time that you are on our podcast. Oh, I hope hope not. Because we really appreciate, we appreciate your insights and, and all of the work that you've done in the past 17 years since you lost your husband. See this, this, this journey that we talk about now, Christine did this. She started this journey on her own with even less help than what we have now, because she developed this. She, she drove, two hours into a city that she was not familiar with in wintertime to try to try to find some kind of help. And if I may say, you know, there was many times where there was intersections where you would just put the truck in park and say, I can't do this. I did. I you wanted know? to throw the par- truck in park in the truck because it was rush hour. I was in intense grief and alone in downtown Toronto. And I could barely see through my tears sometimes, but, but I made it. You made it. And then somehow. I was desperate. And that's it, it, right? Because you pushed and you pushed and you advocated for yourself and, and you're a warrior. Well, actually, yeah, you are a warrior and, and your, your battles are where we are today, what we have today in, in, in Durham region to get, you know, to get help, you know, to, to feel, to feel that we're not alone. We're alone, but maybe a little bit less alone. That there's it. There is. I'm not losing my mind. That's it. What what I feel is, it's okay. Normal. Somebody else feels this too when this something like this happens. This you're not. You're not an iceberg in the middle of the ocean. That's right. That's what this is all about. So. And thank you, John and Sherilyn, for doing this podcast. It is so important. 
I'm honored to be here. We're honored to have you. So thanks so much for coming on.